Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us today. One of our favorite pastors that we always talk about here, I think this might be the second or third day in a row we've talked about something he's written uh, or tweeted. Uh, His name is Scott Sauls. Scott Sauls is uh, the lead pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, but he also blogs at scottsalls.com, and he's a great follow on Twitter. And oftentimes his blogs or his articles will show up on, on various websites, one of them being churchleaders.com. And Scott wrote an article entitled, The Mathematics of Derailing Spirituality. The Mathematics of Derailing Spirituality. What is it that gets us off course? And I just want to take a little bit of time to reflect on it, because I think what Scott has to say for us here. Uh, is is powerful, and it's well worth our time. He begins by saying C.S. Lewis famously said that when we read history, we find that those who did the most for the present world are also the ones who thought the most about the next. In other words, the more heavenly-minded we are, the more our heads and our hearts are fixed on Jesus, the kingdom, and his purposes, the more earthly good we will be, and the more happy and healthy and whole we will be as well. Let's pause there. We've heard that C.S. Lewis quote before. Aubrey and I have talked about it before. It's one of those things that we know scripturally. The Apostle Paul talks about it. We know that to be heavenly minded, that that's our calling, right? Our home is in heaven with our Savior, uh, and that while we're here on earth, we have a mission. We have a task, right, to go and make disciples, to uh, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We have things to accomplish, but that ultimately our longing and our focus uh, is where we will spend eternity with our Lord. And and Lewis's point is this, that as we have that right perspective, and and that, that becomes the perspective for how we view our lives here, it actually makes us more profitable, more good, uh, here, we make more of a difference here because we are eternally minded, heavenly minded, and that's how we start to view people here. But Scott Sauls goes on to say, but if we are being honest, many Christians struggle to keep their minds and hearts fixed on what Lewis calls the next world with goals to trace, degrees to earn, careers to pursue, friendships to enjoy, families to raise, retirement accounts to build, and more we are easily distracted from our chief purpose as human beings, and that being to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So Saul sets up the struggle, right? The struggle is we get caught up in our day-to-day-to-day-to-day lives here. The kind of the uh, day after day, working my job, loving my family, trying to make some money, having some fun, uh, planning vacations, walking the dog, helping with homework, and the list goes on. It's leading a church. The list goes on and on. And uh, as Saul's points out, we become distracted. Uh, and that's not even something we should feel guilty about. It totally makes sense. But Saul's continues, according to Scripture, the only way we can live a full and fruitful life in the here and now, the only way that things like career and family, friendship, and other pursuits can lead to healthy and life-giving outcomes is to remain fixated on Jesus, his kingdom, and his purposes through each one of these pursuits. So again, if this is not a call to not have a career, not have a family, not have this, and just become a monk. The actual call here is do all of those things, enjoy all of those things, but all of them fall under the, uh, the umbrella of the lordship of Jesus Christ. All of them go through the lens of Jesus, 
and he becomes the center. He says, uh, Saul's continues, we each have something at the center of our souls that we treat as our functional treasure. Here's the key. As the ultimate source of our own happiness and significance and flourishing, whether it's Jesus or someone, someplace or something else, we all depend on these treasures to save, sustain and govern our lives as functional Lord and Savior. We tell ourselves, if I can just have this, then it will be well with my soul. If I can hold on to this, things will be okay. If my thoughts, words and deepest commitments are centered on this, my life will be worth living. Basically, we have idols. We have functional saviors, Saul is, Saul is saying. If I just, it's like the carrot that hangs out in front of us, right? Like if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a better relationship, if I just had that new job, that vacation home, whatever else it might be, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. It reminds me of the, um, of the study that came out years ago about money. And the survey, the, the study went like this. How much more money would you need in order to be content and to be happy? How much more money? And so they broke it down. The study broke it down uh, by categories. I think it was every $10,000. I think it started as low as people who made ten to $20,000, 20 to 30, and all the way up to people who made over a million dollars. So it's a wide variety here. And it, the question was posed, how much more money do you, would you need to be good, to be happy, to be content? How much more? And here's the fascinating thing that they found. Every single category answered the same thing. Whether they were making 20 grand or a million dollars, every single category answered the same thing. If I just made 10% more, I want you to think about that. The person at the low, low, low end said, I just need 10% more. The person at the high end said, I just need 10% more. And therefore, what we're saying is we always feel like we need 10% more. That's the carrot out there. That's the idol. That's the goal. Saul says, as long as our eyes are focused off of Jesus, as long as our functional savior is not Jesus, we will never be content and we will never be happy or have joy. He goes on to say, it's simple math, really. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. With Jesus, every other person, place, or thing we are given to enjoy is bonus. Not something to plug our emotional umbilical cords into, but rather something to offer thanks for uh, to God. As the Puritan, whose possessions were reduced to a single piece of bread and a single glass of water, said, What? All this and Jesus Christ too? Really, the question Scott Sauls is leaving us with is this. Is Jesus enough for us? Is running after him, is knowing him, is having our eyes focused on him, is the reality of eternity with him enough for us? Or is it Jesus plus some other things? Or as even Saul says, some other things minus Jesus. The message of the gospel is no matter what's going on in your life, as long as you have Jesus, you're good. That's the doorway to abundant life. That is the doorway to joy. The Mathematics of Derailing Spirituality. A great read uh, from Scott Sauls. Well, coming up next, Blair Lynn, a spoken word artist, actress, and speaker, is going to come on to talk about her new book. I'm excited to talk to Blair about her new book, Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain 
of fatherlessness. Blair Lynn is going to join us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by my co-host Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is not able to be here with us. So uh, just flying solo today, but not this segment or the next one, because uh, I've got a great guest that I'm really excited to have with us. She is a spoken word artist, actress, and speaker, and the author of a new book called Finding My Father, how the gospel heals the pain of fatherlessness. Her name is Blair Lynn. Blair, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Hey, before we dive into the book, which I'm real excited to talk to you about, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sounds good. Well, I live in Philadelphia with my husband, Shai, and our three kids, Sage, Maya, and Ezra. Um, and yeah, I teach uh, lead women's ministry at our church. And I'm excited to talk about my book and talk about the Lord today. Wonderful. Blair, this book is, uh, it's really beautifully written, but it's its a story. Uh, it's your story, one of pain and struggle. So uh, I guess I would start there. Why did you feel the uh, desire and the need to kind of share your story and write this book in the first place? Yeah, well, fatherlessness is an issue that a lot of people are dealing with. Um, and often when I would read books on the topic, I didn't find anyone that necessarily connected with my story in particular, Mm. even though my story is very similar to a lot of other people's stories. Mm. And so I thought if I could write down my story, be very honest and transparent and raw um, and also show the hope that I had found, um, that it might encourage someone. So that was the reason why I wrote it, that it might be an encouragement uh, to those who are fatherless. And I'm sure it will be. And that's our hope. But how difficult was it for you to write and kind of dredge up lots of feelings from your past and even your Mm. present? How hard of a book was it for you to write? It was a hard book and and an enjoyable book in some ways because of how it's written, my history of doing spoken word and poetry. So I enjoyed the writing process. And yet, because of the heaviness of the topic, it was also very hard. So there were many days where I was weeping as I was writing, um, you know, and just processing, um, you know, my own story myself, because for the first time I've, you know, I mean, to jot down your story, you're in one sense confronted with the reality of it in a way that I don't know that I had fully grappled with prior yeah. to, to getting it on the page. So it was beautiful and hard. I'll yeah. Say. <laughs> and I'm sure that will come across as people, as people read the book. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more of your story? Uh, uh, your father, what role at all did he play in your life? Was he completely absent, very distant? What, well, tell us a little bit more about your father. Yeah. So my father actually lived in Chicago. We lived mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. So we were thousands of miles away from each other. And our relationship looked like a series of phone calls a few times a year, maybe wow. a few times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, of course, physically absent, um, but then also didn't pay child support. You know, so there wasn't the financial yeah. support. Um, there wasn't much depth in our relationship. So I struggled coming up in more ways that I realized living in the moment, um, you know, with poverty. We struggled. I struggled with my identity. I struggled with authority. Um, there were so many ways that it impacted me. It impacted how I viewed God, mm. um, you know, and so I, um, yeah, for, you know, being able to eventually when I was 18, I confronted my dad and I told him how his absence had impacted me. 
Wow. And it was kind of the first time we had a heart to heart where he yeah. said, well, I'm afraid to because he didn't have his father in his life. And so I saw my father's humanity for the first time, which helped me, I think, to show more grace to him. Um, but it was still hard. And so from that point on, from 18 on, he tried to be a bit more intentional, more conversations over the phone, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'd walk through how the Lord redeemed the situation. So I asked him to walk me down the aisle, for example, when I wow. got married, um, you know, the Lord is healing, uh, you know, that relationship, you know, so, and, and I walked through too, how the Lord is really through my marriage with my husband and our children put us on a, a trajectory of thinking about legacy and how do we break this cycle uh, that is so common in so many people's lives of fatherlessness and the impact of it um, and do what we didn't see modeled. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, using the blessing of the church, because not only do we get a father in God, when we come to the Lord, we get a family in the church and the Lord has used the family of God to come around, to fill in some of those holes that, we're lacking in my life and my husband's life, you know, as we sort through caring for our children and discipling others and looking to the next generation. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, and you say in your book that your your mom, she worked hard and we often, you know, read stories about essentially single parents where the mom is kind of the mom and the dad and, and does everything for the family uh, and you point out in your book that that your mom was, you know, did worked really hard and did a lot of stuff. But even that can't replace uh, the father in the household. Help us understand that. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, of course, my mom was there. You know, she was the one showing up to parent teacher conferences. She was the one who was disciplining us. She was taking us, you know, to camera class on camera classes um, when we were interested in acting and different things that we did when we were coming up. Um, and I remember when I was young, I would write Father's Day cards to my mother. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, in trying to just express my appreciation and my gratitude. But and, and I think our society tells us that a single mom can fit that role of mother and father. But the reality is, no, no, a yeah. mother cannot fit the role of a father. God has made a mother and a father with completely distinct roles. Um, and we need to honor those distinct roles. And my mother could only be a mother. She was a good mother mm. when we were coming up. You know, she really invested all that she could sacrifice for us. There was at times where I remember her not eating so that my sister and I could eat. Mm. But the reality is she, she is not my dad and she could never fill those holes uh, that only a father could fill the blessing that a father you know, calls and, and proclaims over their child. Yeah. Um, you know, that the, the leadership of having a man in a home, you know, even instructing their children and not only morality, but just spiritual disciplines, those things that, you know, yes, God can give grace. <laughs> I think the Lord has given a lot of grace to single mothers, but the reality is she cannot take the place of a father. Yeah. Um, and fathers matter. Fathers are important. And that's one of the things I wanted to emphasize in this book was not to shame men or put them down, but to pull them up, you know, mm -hmm. to say, we need you. We need you in our life. Um, your role is important. And so, yeah, walk in your role, 
not as yeah. a perfect father, but as a faithful, loving father. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. And we're excited that Blair is going to stay with us uh, as we continue unpacking this. What do we do with these painful things in our life? What do we do uh, with this? And, and how does our view of our earthly father affect ultimately our view of our heavenly father? Such an important topic that we're going to tackle. Again, the book is called Finding My Father how the gospel heals the pain of fatherlessness. You can learn more about Blair and her book at BlairLynnPoetry.com. That's BlairLynnPoetry.com. Blair, you said something interesting. You said that your dad's absence uh, affected so many things in your life, including how you viewed God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk more about that? Can you unpack about how uh, the role the earthly father plays in our view of our heavenly father? Yeah. So, you know, I came to Christ when I was 22 years old. That was Mm. the first time I heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. (laughs) And, um, you know, and I rejoiced, of course, in becoming a Christian. But one of the things I lacked was the ability to see God as father and as one who loves me. I think I looked at God as more of a judge who has pardoned me and he's kind of just tolerating me, you know? Um, And so I remember how, you know, I had to come to the realization that it was important for me to look at the scripture and see God for who he says he is, not see him through the lens of my own brokenness. I think I thought because my father was not there, he was inconsistent. God would be inconsistent. Um, you know, the assumptions I'd even made about my dad because of his absence, you know, assuming that, well, questioning whether he loved me or not, really, you know, Um, Because I think there were times where I felt like, well, if he really loved me, he would have been here. You know, if he really loved me, he would have supported me in these particular ways. And so when you raise those questions in your mind, I I saw them transferring to how I viewed God. Um, And when I opened up, I think it's Ephesians chapter three. It talks about um, all fatherhood deriving its name from God, the father. Right. And that just shifted everything. Well, wait a minute. So my earthly dad doesn't define fatherhood. My heavenly father is the one who defines fatherhood. And when I began to see that and look in the scripture, you see how many times God says, I, I, I'm your, I'm I'm your father. You're my daughter. Mm -hmm. I love you with an everlasting love, right? That won't be taken away. I've displayed and poured out my grace upon grace to you because I love you and I've chosen you. Um, so I'm nothing like any earthly father, you know, even though the, the greatest earthly dad, right, <laughs> um, still doesn't compare to our heavenly father. Yeah, that's so powerful and such an important biblical imagery that's throughout the Bible, right? It's throughout the Bible of God as our father. Now, I, I, Blair, I'd love for you to speak to the dads out there. I'm a dad. I've got three kids at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we all, uh, you know, we wrestle with this, but you talk in your book that, Sometimes you can be an absent father and still be physically present at home, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's this right. isn't always about just physical presence. So uh, what advice would you give to fathers about how they can be fully present to their children? Like some dads are just like, listen, I put food on the table. I'm home. Kind of that 1950s sitcom, you know? Right. Uh, but, but how can dads do a good job at being present in the home for their kids? Yeah. And it's funny because actually my husband wrote a chapter in the book as well. um, And I had him write a chapter because I wanted him to speak directly to the men, you know, and he talked about how even when he first became a father, or he found out that we were going to have a a, a child, he was extremely terrified, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes fathers can have this pressure that there is this standard of perfection. Um, 
whether that's what they've put on them themselves or maybe how they view their children's perspective of them would be. But my, my advice is that children are not looking for a perfect father. Mm-hmm. They are looking for a consistent father, just someone who shows up, someone who expresses their love and care for their child. Um, children give a lot of grace. <laughs> you know, yeah. children are very gracious. I have three kids. <laughs> there are many yeah. times I've had to apologize to them, right, you know, for sinning against them. And they are ready to welcome me with open arms and forgive me with open arms. So don't seek to be perfect. Just seek to model your perfect savior, right? Mm. And when you fail, as you will, because we all do, you know, go to them and and they will understand. Um, But just try to be present in the sense of leading your home. Are there ways that you can show that you're interested in your children, not just with providing? Providing is important, but there's so many ways that that God has set up a father to be a part of their child's life as a prayer partner, right? As a moral guide, as a friend. Uh, One of the things I talk about in the book is how my husband when our, our children were babies, he would throw them up in the air <laughs> and I would, <laughs> right? I would be sitting there nervous, like, oh my, are they going to hit their head on the ceiling? But I think <laughs> dads, they have within them this ability to teach their children how to take risks, right? And how to, mm. you know, and, but yet they're there to catch them, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and so they, they teach them also about the safety that they provide. So there's so many ways the Lord it desires to use you as a father. And so don't limit him, um, but just show up, show up. Yeah, that's a great word. Uh, what about the church? How can the church, you talked earlier about the church filling in the gaps. Uh, how? What is the church's role in both in ministering to the fatherless, but also uh, to single moms out there? How, do, mm-hmm. how would you like to see the church function here? Yeah. So we see in James, um, he talks about this uh, true religion, you know, that we are to care for widows and orphans. We're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Um, but not only there, we see it all throughout scripture. God saying, you know, I'm, I'm a father to the fatherless. We see God's heart to care for the least of these, those yeah. who are often neglected and, and overlooked. And those who can't really, they don't have anything to give you in return, right? You're, you're pouring yourself out to them. They may not be able to you know, to pay you back, quote unquote. Um, And so we see God's heart and he says, okay, love your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. That if you love me and you say you love me, it's going to look like something. It's going to look like you caring for others. And so you have fatherless children in your pew right now. Not only those who, you know, there may be children, right, who need adoption or those who need fostering, but there are children and adults who just were raised in a single parent home, right? And so how can you come alongside those children and adults and say, I'm here, I'm here to disciple you, to walk with you. So, um, you know, and it's not going to only be limited to opening up the scripture and doing a formal Bible study. That is important, but I'm, I want to get into your life. I want to get to know you. I want to teach you how to change a tire. I want to teach you how to <laughs> balance a, a budget. I want to, you know, teach you. Have you thought about college? Have you thought about, you know, I mean, the things that a father would do. There's yeah. so many men right there in the pew, you know, who are parenting their children. They're focused on their home. But when we come to Christ, we gain a family in the body of Christ. And it goes beyond just our nucleus, our nuclear, uh, um, nuclear family, yeah. you know, yeah. It includes men and women, right? 
throughout the throughout the world, but the Lord has called you to at least care for those in your local context. Absolutely. And let's end this way, Blair. Somebody's listening right now. Uh, they might be young, they might be older, but they could totally resonate with what you're talking about. Like I didn't have, you know, this person didn't have a dad in their home or had an absent father and they still have all that pain and that bitterness kind of welled up in them. Like this is kind of even bringing it out. What's mm-hmm. step one? What would you encourage that person to do? Yeah. Step one, I would say, is maybe get a journal and just jot down your story and jot down the hurt and the pain. Don't judge the pain. Just get it all down. Um, And because oftentimes we don't realize the depth of the pain that we're carrying. Um, And so I think sometimes just writing it down helps us to see what's going on. And then I have to go to step two. Then we can learn to cast our cares over to the Lord. Begin to step by step say, okay, God, here's where I'm hurting. Here's my pain. Here are the wounds I'm experiencing. Um, I want to give them over to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So those would be the two first steps, I would say. And I would tell people, step three, pick up your book. (laughs) (laughs) That book, again, is called Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness. You can uh, find out more about Blair and her book and also her poetry at BlairLynnPoetry.com. That's BlairLynnPoetry.com. You said you've got some up at YouTube. I'm sure if people search your name, mm-hmm. uh, your last name is L-I-N-N-E, Blair Lynn. You can also follow Blair on Twitter at Blair Lynn. That's at Blair Lynn. Blair, this is wonderful. Thanks for spending time with me today. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been great. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. If you've been around this show for any amount of time, you know that Aubrey and I are both pastors. And so sometimes we just talk about what is it that we're preaching? What is it that we're studying? What is it that we're wrestling with? What is it that we're doing right now? And this past week, I had the opportunity at our church, Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, You can find us at FCCC.Church. If you don't have a church and you live in the area, we'd love to have you come join us. It's uh, Uh, FCCC.Church. I had the chance to preach this week and the next couple weeks on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I always find the book of Ecclesiastes to be a fascinating read uh, for, for a couple different reasons. One is who wrote it. You know, church history tells us that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. King Solomon is the son of King David, takes over for David, uh, and leads the nation through great prosperity. Uh, And the things we read about King Solomon are amazing. We read that King Solomon was the richest of any ruler. He had greater wealth. His wealth far surpassed uh, anybody else. Uh, We also know that he had wisdom that far surpassed the wisdom of anybody else. He had power. Other kings were traveling. Other queens were traveling to see King Solomon and hear from him. He had pleasure far beyond anyone else. King Solomon had the best that life had to offer. I think that's why Ecclesiastes is fascinating. But then the other reason Ecclesiastes is fascinating is because it is King Solomon looking back on his life, going, here's kind of my assessment, my judgment of it all. And all of my wisdom and grandeur, here is my uh, judgment of it. And now you can't read Ecclesiastes without remembering what I just shared with you. 
this is the most powerful, the most wealthy, uh, the most wise person who has ever lived, who has ever ruled. And how does the book of Ecclesiastes begin? It jumps right into the deep end of the pool, Ecclesiastes chapter one, uh, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. It's all meaningless. And you're left there reading that going, hold on a second. What? How can you even say that, that it's all meaningless? But he keeps diving into it. Uh, as the 11 chapters of Ecclesiastes, it has 12 chapters, but as the first 11 and a half chapters unroll, he looks at money and says meaningless. He looks at work and says meaningless. He looks at vanity. He looks at pleasure. He looks at wisdom and he says it's all meaningless. And there's a couple different reasons that he says meaningless, but one of them in the first chapter, the very beginning that he gets at is that no matter how much money you have, no matter uh, how many, uh, how much acclaim you have, no matter how much power you have, what you di- can't do is stop time. And much of Ecclesiastes focuses on our own mortality. As Solomon says, the sun rises and the sun sets. And then he goes, it's ultra depressive. It says at the end of chapter one or verse 11, I believe it is. He says, uh, generations are forgotten. Like you're going to be forgotten in a generation or two. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is like so heavy. And he's going to get to the point. But when I read Ecclesiastes chapter one, what really struck me this week as I read it and prepared to preach for it is I get that. When he says the difficulty of time just marching on, of, of coming and going, the sudden right, that there's nothing new under the sun. I totally get that because here's why. I feel like life has sped up. I feel like my kids have gone from like five years old to my daughter. My oldest daughter is about to turn 18 and getting ready to go off to college. Like I look at my children and I go, where did the time go? I look at my wife and we go, how have we been married for 22 years? Almost 22 years. And you start to look in the mirror and you go, yeah, time goes really fast while the days might be long. The years are short. And I think a lot of you out there know what I'm talking about. You're going, yeah, just slow down, slow it down. But we know we can't slow it down. And because of that, Solomon goes, money, fame, acclaim, it's all meaningless. Solomon doesn't leave us with that because if he did, you'd be going, gosh, like in many ways, Ecclesiastes is a difficult book to read, but one that you would have expected him to be like, life is great, but that's not what he says. It's meaningless. But then you get to the last two verses of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. I'm doing this from memory, but he basically says, but I've come to my conclusion at the end of it all, I've come to my conclusion. He's going to say, what is it that's not meaningless? And King Solomon goes, fear God and obey his commandments. That's the point. That's the purpose of life. We go through life going, what's the point? What's the purpose? And Solomon says, the purpose is fear God, worship God. Obey his commandments, live following him, know God and make him known. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live your life with your eyes focused on him. Follow after him, right? It's what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, that that Jesus came to bring life to the full. Now, abundant life, that when we follow Jesus, we're not giving up life now so that we get eternity, but instead we're getting the best of both worlds. 
And friends, the quicker we can get this, I believe, the quicker we can live a life that matters, the quicker we can live a life of purpose uh, that has any sort of significance, the quicker we can start living for things of eternity now, because that is, we are, in essence, eternal beings. You have a purpose, but yet so many of us chase after the things with all of our passion that Solomon, who got all of it, declares meaningless. So what is it that provides meaning in our life? Solomon says it's fear God, worship God, obey his commandments. Know God and make him known. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, what are you living for? And let me back up and even ask the question this way. Do you actually believe what Solomon writes there in the book of Ecclesiastes? Do you believe it to be true? Actor and comedian Jim Carrey famously was quoted as saying, I wish everybody uh, would make all the money and have all their dreams come true so that they can realize uh, that it's not the point. Do you believe that to be true? Or are you like, oh, just kind of give me the chance, Solomon. I'll, I'll make a worthwhile life out of it. The Bible over and over and over again points us to that which matters the most. It's the things of eternity. Lay your treasure up in heaven where moths do not destroy. But yet so many of us go after the things that Solomon declares meaningless. And we go, man, slow down time. This doesn't feel right. Live for the things that matter. Live for the things that matter. Well, coming up next, going to close the show out uh, with a tweet from somebody who's been on the show a couple of times, Pastor Derwin Gray. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us today. Somebody we've had on the show a couple times, Derwin Gray, we had him on recently to talk about his book about prayer. Uh, Derwin Gray is a pastor, pastor of Transformation Church, a best-selling author, uh, and he's also a former NFL player and a great follow on Twitter. Uh, so you can follow him at Derwin L. Gray, that's at Derwin L. Gray. Whenever we end the show, we try to do it with ways to encourage you and challenge you and kind of hopefully lift your spirits and point you to Jesus. And with that in mind, uh, let me read uh, what Derwin wrote yesterday because I find it uh, extremely helpful. Derwin Gray wrote, you are awake. You matter. You have value. You are more than your trauma. You are more than the hurtful words. You are more than your mistakes. You are more than your family issues. You can live. You can make a difference. Super grateful for those words from Derwin Gray because I think uh, they are, quite frankly, things that many of us struggle with. There are many, many of us struggle with. Do you really believe that you matter? Why do you have? Why do you matter? And why can he say that you have value? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know you. How can he say that you matter and you have value? Here's why. Because your value does not come from what you do. Your value does not come from who, what you can produce. Your value does not even come from the mistakes that you have made or your lack of value. But instead, your value comes from uh, who your creator is and who, what your creator says about you. Everybody listening right now was created by Almighty God. And you uh, were created in the image of God. 
Think about that for a second. If we believe that God doesn't make mistakes, and we know that he created us in his image, then there is nothing else, my friend, that can give you greater value than to say that you were created by the God of the universe. And if you're a Christ follower, then you take on another title, and that is this. You are a child of God. You are his child, not his slave, uh, not his just another one of these people, who an insignificant person in the billions. But instead, you are a child of God. I want you to think about, if you're a parent out there, I want you to think about how you feel about your own kids. How do you feel about your children? I know for my kids, I have three of them. I know for my children, I would do anything for them. Doesn't mean I'm always a great dad, and it doesn't mean that we don't have our issues at times, but I would do anything for my children. My love for them is unconditional. I I would be an awful dad if I made my kids line up at the end of the day and decided how their actions, if their actions that day um, garnered them my love, got them the love from me, if they were, if it was transactional. No, I love my children because they're my children. But yet so many of us treat our heavenly father in that transactional way. Well, did I do enough for him to love me today? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I pray enough? Did I obey enough so that he'll be happy with me? He's happy. He loves us because of our uh, our identity. We are his children. And Derwin goes on to say, you're more than your trauma. You're more than the hurtful words. You are more than your mistakes. You are more than your family issues. He's getting at those things that hang around us like a weight. The trauma, the hurtful words people have said to us, the things people have done to us, the things we have done to ourselves, the mistakes that we have made last week or 20 years ago, or the family issues that we have that we weren't even a part of, but they just weigh us down. There are things in our lives that just weigh us down, like a weight around our necks, the trauma and the hurtful words and the mistakes and the family issues. And Derwin here says, you're more than that. Why? Because you have a heavenly father who loves you. You've been created in his image. And when it comes to our mistakes, he gives us a promise in Christ that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But yet so many of us live defined by what other people say about us, defined by the things that have happened to us, defined by the sins we have committed and the mistakes that we have made and the regrets that we have. There are consequences for those sins, but they need not define us. We are defined by who God says we are. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he rose again, we have now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We can live that way. We can live that out. And Derwin closes it out by saying, you can live. You can make a difference. You have a mission. That mission of, uh, of being the light of the world, the ambassador of Christ, going and making disciples. That's not just held out there for those that have never sinned. Otherwise, there'd be nobody able to do it. But it's held out there for those of us who have claimed the righteousness of Christ. You are awake. You matter. You have value. You are more than your trauma. You are more than the hurtful words. You are more than your mistakes. You are more than your family issues. You can live. You 
can make a difference. A really great word uh, from Pastor Derwin Gray. Friends, live out of your identity of who God says you are. You've been created in the image of God. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. Therefore, you are not a mistake. Jesus went to the cross for you. And in Christ, you are a child of God. You are loved unconditionally. You are valued. And now you are given a mission. You are given a calling. And friends, we can take our mistakes and our sins and we can lay them at the feet of of our Lord. And when we do that, the promise is not shame and guilt, but it is cleansing. It is purification. Somebody needed to hear that good word today. Thankful for Derwin Gray. Again, I would love to have you join us tomorrow as Aubrey is back. Uh, Join us tomorrow from four until six. If you'd let me, I'm going to read the book of Romans. I'm going to read just one verse. Uh, As we close this out, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and may fill you with peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's our prayer for this show, that you would abound in hope. Again, thanks for joining me today. Join me and Aubrey tomorrow from four until six. My name is Brian Fromm and you've been listening to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.